I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Show. I'm Steve W. No Paul this week. We're not quite sure where he is, but if anyone sees him, let us know. Steve D's with me, though. How are you, Steve? I'm alright, Steve. Yeah, I've had a uh, a pretty good week. Um, not in Guantanamo Bay, so that's always a good uh, a good sign, isn't it? Um, I mean, what a crazy day today has been. We're recording on Thursday. The CPI numbers dropped, and we'll, we'll talk about them in a little bit more detail later. But uh, at the moment, my Blitzscalers portfolio is up about 11 and a bit percent, and my actual portfolio, the one I actually kick, like concentrate on, is up about seven and a half percent. So it's been it's been a pretty bonkers day really uh, and it was a real shock to me because uh, i was uh, i was out on site today i um i drove to um grimsby because one of our surveyors had left some of his kit behind on accident and all i was supposed to be doing was picking it up uh, i got there um and then i got a phone call to say could i go down to Horncastle, which is about another hour down the road uh didn't have enough charge in my car so i pulled over uh, in the middle of Grimsby Town thought, oh, I'll be alright. I'll just stop playing my phone for 20, 30 minutes while it charges up. Ended up sitting there an hour, no internet, nothing, couldn't do anything. Um, so, yeah, when I finally got some internet, when I uh, arrived on, on a site in Horncastle, um, I was like, whoa, the market's gone bonkers. And I had to like, try and decipher like what had gone on. But, yeah, anyway, Steve, how's, how's your week doing? Your portfolio as good as mine? No, uh, I mean, it's not as good as yours in the last day or so, but that's kind of to be expected or so. I take a slightly broader sweep and I think things probably become more interesting. I don't know whether mine's better or worse than yours uh, over a kind of month or year or anything like that. But it's been a decent week, actually. I'm pretty tired, but I've been having good fun. I'm more or less at the stage where I'm not putting more money in just at the moment because I've run out of space in the ISA, so... I'm hoping that prices come down and stay down a little bit and I could do with a bit of a nudge after today's kind of bounce. So are you feeling good about the market? Uh, well, yes and no, I guess. I think this is a uh, this is an important stage for us seeing the inflation, the CPI numbers come down. But we've got to remember that this has happened before and we and it soon rose back up after that. So we need to really see consecutive um um, sort of, you know, consecutive CPI numbers like this. But uh, it's a good start. Not the answer I was hoping for. Normally when you feel good about the market, it goes down again quickly. So I was hoping you could give it a bit of a sort of squash for me. Never mind. I'll wait nearer to the new financial year in April and, and we can talk about it then again. Apparently, historically, November and December are the best months for buying stocks for what that's worth. So if you're going to sell in May and go away, I suppose you're supposed to come back. I thought you were supposed to come back in September, but November and December are apparently the uh, months to be buying, according to people who pay attention to this stuff, which is neither me nor Steve. But let's get after it then with some stock buying. Before we get to uh, some specific stocks, we had a competition last week celebrating our 1,000 uh, subscriber milestone that we reached steve you have the details of this we asked a question that we unwisely let paul set uh, and here are the results 
Yeah, um, just to say thank you to everybody that entered. I think there was over 40 entries in total. I think it was nearly 50 entries. So it was, um, it was, it was crazy. Nice to see some people who don't always comment on YouTube um, coming out and just saying, you know, congratulations. Please give me a hoodie. Um, that was that was really nice to see. So uh, we, I gave everybody a tick. Everybody who got it right. There's only one person who managed to get it wrong. Um, I think he was just guessing, um, rather than just watching two seconds and finding out. But. Um, Given everybody who's uh, who's uh, entered a tick, and uh, for those of you who are watching, I will just quickly share my screen with you so you can see what we've been. The reason for the tick was really essentially uh, we've found a YouTube comment searching uh, program, so we've posted the name of the video in. Uh, we've given it a, a tick for, for what to search for. I now have to do some very difficult maths. One plus one is two. And we'll just get the YouTube comments and then we'll run the raffle now and we'll find out who the winner is live on stream. So best of luck, everybody. Gosh, this is exciting. It is exciting, isn't it? Okay, so this is the winner. Um, so it's Martin is a bit out of our league, I think. You never know, though. So I just flicked back over to the comments to see what it was. I thought it would bring through names, but it didn't. But it was David Crilly. Uh, five days straight. Great video again. Love the Martin Lewis game. I think you should get him on the show. I did say Martin was a bit out of our league. I think he probably still is. But congratulations, David. Um, our uh, description box has uh, an email address. If you just pop us over an email, um, just let us know. Um, we're going to need your... Uh, hoodie size or, or a t-shirt size if you prefer a t-shirt and uh in your address and we'll uh, we'll get the prize out to you congratulations oh well, congratulations david that was pretty much seamless great work from us um <laughs> the sucker's going up let's talk about something slightly different then so inflation news has been driving the stock market higher today and that's mostly coming out of the u.s and u.s stocks in particular have been picking up quite sharply We'll come to those in a little bit. We thought we'd talk about something really exciting, though. Uh, and then we thought, let's not do that. Let's talk about Persimmon, uh, a house building company that Steve has been looking at. Yeah, uh, headline at the moment is that they have cut their dividend policy. And uh, they've, oh. they've tried to tell you that uh, that this is them trying to be prudent. But uh, I think I'm going to tell you in no uncertain terms that they, they pretty much have to. Um, so on the earnings call, Persimmon said um, it expects the housing market to contract. They're experiencing increased domestic and macroeconomic issues. Um, corporation tax is rising, as is developer tax. And all of this is true, by the way. Uh, Persimmon wants to ensure it has the cash to keep snapping up land in the coming years. Um, Persimmon is, is well on track for its completions. It's finished just under 10,000 homes so far this financial year. It's down 754 homes on a year-on-year -year comparison. Uh, but they still look on hit to, track, uh, to hit their original estimate, which was about 14,000 to 15,000 homes at top. Um, speaking about the recent dividend policy change by Persimmon, AJ Bell's investment director, Ross Mould, or Russ Mould, said, The record of FTSE 100 firms that on paper were due to offer a double-digit percentage dividend yield is particularly bad. When it comes to actually handing over the cash and Persimmon now looks to set to join an inglorious list that includes Vodafone, Shell, Centrica and when they were part of the FTSE 100, Marks and Spencers, Evraz, IDS or Royal Mail as it was back then. Um, so the house builder is redefining its dividend policy and this looks set to end a run of 235p per share annual dividend payments worth about 750 million a year uh, to Persimmon, uh, equivalent to a dividend yield of about 19% at uh, um, Monday's price when I, uh, when I wrote this. 
Um, so shortly afterwards, though, they've announced further struggles. Um, both sales and prices of new build homes have fallen. Cancellation rates are soaring at 28%, caused by recession fears and rising mortgage costs, uh, just affecting affordability general generally. Um, in the last six weeks, the net sales per outlet has fallen from a tidy 0.8 sales per week to 0.48 sales per week. So while these sound insignificant changes, it means that the sales cycle on new houses has almost doubled. Um, the average selling price over this period has dropped by 2%. Persimmon said its prices were now below market rates. Um, material prices are still pretty high, especially the materials used to build these homes, which have been ordered in the past, where they are falling uh, material prices, but you know not when you've ordered them in the past. Falling prices uh, with uh, X material costs is, is bad news. Um, and it gets a little bit worse as well. So looking through their sales, help to buy was a huge proponent uh, of their revenue. Roughly one-fifth of homes uh, were sold via this now-closed scheme. Will the LICE be able to pick up the shortfall? Persimmon's got a lot of questions ahead. Um, so look, Persimmon are cutting back on land purchases too. They've snuck this in the day after their earnings. They're adopting a highly selective approach um, as we navigate the uncertain outlook for the UK housing market, they said. Land additions in 2023 are expected to be significantly lower than 2022. So this looks to me, Steve, like a stock that's having a little bit of an issue. Uh, any thoughts on it? It's a cyclical stock doing cyclical things to an extent. When I looked around sort of more broadly, I saw similar kind of news coming out of Taylor Wimpy concerning stuff like rising interest rates and harder to get mortgages and more expensive mortgages for those that do get them. And that shouldn't, I don't think, be surprising too many people. The stock was down about 9% following its trading report, which is down and a significant kind of down, especially for a kind of UK stock, but it's not kind of earth shatteringly cut in half down or anything like that so i was thinking in this kind of situation well it's a cyclical and it behaves in certain ways i suppose the thing that i that most stood out to me is that i don't own any kind of uk house builders but i was quite taken with how much they appear to be in a sense dependent on certain government decisions and sure every uk company is dependent on government decisions to some extent because it's based in the uk and the government makes the rules if they push up taxes well then profits go down but i don't just mean in that kind of uh way so what i'm looking at is stuff like uh the help to buy scheme and how much they were kind of dependent on that and the government decides that's going to end and then away goes 20 percent of your sales there's also a kind of issue around cladding provisions so following the grenfell disaster that's sort of fairly well known about to uk investors and probably more broadly than that i would guess uh persimmon and various other home builders have to put aside money for cladding provisions on buildings the amount that they have to put aside has been kind of hard for them to pin down, partly because um, there have been a number of government changes recently, which means there's been a number of different housing ministers, which has meant a number of different rules uh, one way or another. So they thought they had this fairly well covered and were guiding for having to put aside about 75 million. According to their last trading update, the amount they now think they have to put aside is about 350 million which is about half a year's net income, which is quite a significant kind of chunk for them. So I can see how there's kind of more bad news than people were just expecting based on sort of fairly ordinary, everyone knows interest rates are going up, everyone knows mortgages are getting more expensive, everyone knows that means you're going to find it harder to sell homes. Cancellation rates, yes, they'll probably go up. Uh, sales rates, they'll probably go down. Um, and you'd expect that sort of through next year, even if this year isn't particularly affected. But I think that's the kind of bit that most stood out for me, exactly how dependent they are on kind of government schemes and decisions and, and those sorts of things.
Yeah, and that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, uh, when, not to get too political, but uh, there's been a quite a heavy sort of concentration by the government on making sure property prices go up and uh, to get to a point where now interest rates are coming along that they've they've started to become um, unaffordable. Uh, so that, that's, you know, you're right when you say that they are reliant on government policy. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that makes things especially tricky for them. But, I mean, Steve, did you ever think they were going to pay out a 19% dividend? I mean, that just sounds ludicrous to me. No, I didn't think they were going to pay out a 19% dividend particularly. And I think the fact that they were kind of, I don't know, on paper scheduled to in some sort of nebulous sense uh, is an indication that a lot of other people thought they weren't going to either. Um, it reminds me of... We talk about companies as big dividend payers or small dividend payers. Um, and we think of Apple as not a big dividend payer, for instance, because it has a yield of sort of just under 1%. And we maybe think about something like realty income up around 5% as a sort of biggish dividend payer. That's not kind of automatically the way it works. I mean, dividend yield is a function of the market cap. So the question is where it gets bid up to by investors, right? You could you could pay out the same amount or more and go from being a big dividend payer to being a small dividend payer just because your share price went up a lot. So your yield went from 3% to 1% or something like that. So I think I view the kind of dividend yield here as at least partly a function of kind of people's expectations around these things and a very high payoff means they thought there was a fairly high risk of them not getting that. And that's the way you would expect investors to behave, right? The riskier you think that dividend is, the more return you would want before you're prepared to put money on it. Yeah, I mean, precisely. that That's why it was priced like it was, because investors didn't believe that 19% dividend in the current macro uh, environment w was ever going to come to fruition. And, and, and they were proved right. Um, so, I mean, Steve, you and I have a general rule about cyclicals and uh, that we don't really like them when they look really, really cheap. And the reason for that is that that tends to mean that everything has gone really, really well for them. They tend to have made record profits. That interest rate was probably facilitating them. There was low inflation. Therefore, everything that could possibly go well for them has tended to, to go well for them. And in something like a house builder, we tend to think when everything is going really badly for them and they look really, really expensive because they're perhaps they're profits are very low or profits have been squeezed and they're laying off that's usually a good time to buy something like a cyclical because you're you're actually not buying it when you know when it's at the very very top of its cycle but is that something you think for persimmon now do you think we're just tipping off the end of their good cycle and uh, they're, they're, they're moving into what potentially is bad cycle now yeah i think so persimmon and this is not necessarily specific to them and actually a lot of what we've said so far isn't specific to uh persimmon a lot of it is just true of house builders in the uk in general stuff about interest rates is not persimmon's fault um but different house builders i guess they know that's how the cycle works but they can leverage themselves to do better and worse or to push a slightly kind of steadier uh path through these kind of things and i'm not sure i mean it feels to me like persimmon is the kind of company who thinks uh, let's make hay while the sun shines and let's you know get out and sell properties when we can do it at high prices and we will just kind of bunker down and and kind of go off the cliff a fair bit when uh when things are worse but as long as they don't go bust out of this and i don't think there's any suggestion that they're going to at the moment um this could be an interesting time to be looking in this space i guess well they're 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 very much like airlines but with one key difference is they don't dividend out absolutely every dime of their income um so there's a good chance that quite a lot of the house builders will will make it through this uh this down cycle how, however long it 
however long it lasts. But um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, they're they're interesting businesses. I think they are top cycle at the moment. I remember uh, reading in the the Discord, a few people were saying like, "Well, every house build is cheap, so I could just buy any one of them, and and I can probably win." And when you're looking at cyclical stock, that's that's alarm bells ringing for me. If you could think you could buy all of them uh, and you know essentially throw a dart at them and and you know no matter which one you hit, you you win. That usually means you're at the top of the cycle, and there's a hell of a lot of worry to come. Yep, uh, there's something similar going on over in the US as well, for what it's worth. I'm kind of interested in this sort of something more broadly that I was thinking of. A while ago, we sort of talked about Howden Joinery as a potential beneficiary of slower um, property, market, property market sorry, uh, movements and thinking that people might not move, but they might improve things. I was listening to a podcast this week that pointed out that people are more willing to do work on their home when they think their house price is going up, so they don't mind chucking... Uh, 15 grand into something that's going to become uh, 15 grand more expensive by the time they've uh, finished doing it effectively. They feel a lot worse about it when house prices are coming down, which hadn't really occurred to me. It always sort of occurred to me that you just do stuff when you've kind of got the money for it and then just live in the damn thing uh, when it's your house. But uh, that was interesting, I thought. Yeah, definitely. Definitely interesting point. Um, I just think it's a really sort of torrid time for the sector. It's why I don't really want to own any of the house builders at the moment. I, I was uh, I was reading from an unverified source that um, that Red Row are mothballing their biggest site. I mean, I definitely know from first hand that there's still a lot of building going on in uh, definitely in, in my locality, but it, but it has slowed. Um, whether the majors think that 0.48 sales per week, half half a house a week essentially, or a house every two weeks, is worth them, you know, continuing and completing. Um, that's an interesting. That's an interesting query. Um, I just don't want to be involved in any of them at the moment. I'm I am happy as somebody inside the industry to just watch for now. It does feel like the very classic cyclical thing, doesn't it? When I was thinking about this, I mean, when I think of cyclical stuff, I think of the very obvious example of mining stocks, basically. Um, or, and think of oil specifically, or oil drillers and that kind of thing. So when oil prices are high, everybody's pulling oil out of the ground because you can sell it for really high prices and so on. And then when oil comes down, it becomes not worth it uh, to drill oil out of certain wells. So they stop them up, which causes the price to kind of come back up again. And it feels like that's exactly what's happening here to me, just with houses rather than oil, right? When house prices are high, everybody's building houses because you can sell them all for expensive prices. And then when things slow down, people stop building them at quite the same rate, I guess. And and I think that this is, uh, just going back to your government plan, I think this is a wrong point for us uh, in this cycle to have more government incentive. I feel like we have inflated the housing market in the UK to, to such a degree that now even the slightest movement in interest rates is making them um, completely unaffordable. So that to me feels like very, very sort of bubble uh, bubble level uh, territory. So I'm an I'm afraid I think the housing market has to be allowed to deflate now to come back to more sensible prices. Um, put it this way, if, if Persimmon can afford to pay a 19% dividend, uh, they're charging too much for their houses, I think is the long and short bit. <laughs> they're making too much money uh, and they're showing you really that these houses don't cost anywhere near the level of money. Um, I mean, I, I remember back in the day, Persimmon used to get a whole load of crap because their CEO was getting paid about 100 million quid. Um, so they've managed to bring that down to just, I think, a mere couple of million quid now for uh, their, their new CEO. I think he's called Dean Finch. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, the, I just think at the moment 
it's a it's just too tricky for me I, this is not a situation i think i am capable of navigating even somebody who thinks i've got a pretty good grasp on this industry as a whole interesting stuff okay let's move on to our next thing we've got some news from trading 212 um steve you've been looking at this as well yeah, just two really quick, short pieces of news. Um, the first one that came out was that they've added a brand new exchange. Um, so joining the Austrian exchange that was added uh, about three um, three months ago, I think it was four months ago, we now have access to the uh, Portugal um, exchange. Um, Steve, did you do you know any good Portuguese companies? No, uh, I had a look through a thing called the whatever it was, Portugal 20, or uh, their kind of version of the FTSE 100, which is only 20 things on it. And they nearly all look like utilities or energy companies or basically boring things from what I could see. I didn't find anything interesting listed in the Portuguese exchange. Not sure what I thought I was going to find, to be honest. Possibly Nando's, but that's about it. Yeah, well, to be fair, that's what I found the same as you. Uh, it was like a hotel chain, a few utilities, a renewable utility, which didn't seem to make very much money, and uh, a few restaurant chains, I think, was was pretty much the list. And I thought it was quite an uninspiring, uninspiring list. And so far, um, we, we will admit, Steve and I was going to do a Portuguese uh, stock of the week to try and celebrate this, but we actually couldn't find one, so uh, we scrapped that idea. Uh, but let us know if you know any hot Portuguese companies. I'd be uh, interested to um, to see what you've found. Um, the second bit of news is that Trading 2 and 2 is changing it's the way it shows prices. So um, the, it used to show you the bid price at the top and then in instrument details at the bottom. If you hadn't bought the stock, it used to show you the sell price so you could work out the spread between the two. If you bought the stock, it obviously used to show you about halfway down in your, uh, your investment details or whatever it was called. But they're getting rid of all of that, Steve, uh, from what I understand. Uh, at, oh, the top, you're, at the top, you're going to get the LTP price, which is the last traded price. So this is a fairly industry standard uh, metric. It just shows you the price, the last price that the stock or ETF or whatever uh, instrument you own was traded for. So it should show you a slightly more accurate uh, price of your stocks. I mean, one of the issues trading to has just quickly is that they get their price feed from Bloomberg. Bloomberg isn't an exchange, so that's getting the data from somewhere else. If there's any blips in the feed that Bloomberg gets, trading two on two will also get a blip. But because they were feeding the data in two parts, sometimes you could get a blip on the sell price and not on the buy price. So you'd end up with these huge spreads that look like 30, 40, 50 P and it would just be because it's indicative. And, and that used to get a lot of people's backs up and I assume got a lot of angry people uh, talking to trading two on two in the comments. So this is probably a positive change for their, uh, for their uh, help staff's mental state. But other than that, Steve, I don't think it's too exciting. How about you? Will it make my investment returns go up, Steve? Nothing can make that happen. Uh, uh, then I'm not interested. Uh, but is this a CFD thing or something? Then I mean, I feel like this is for people who are watching quite quite closely what's going on with their investments and being alarmed at seeing the wrong spread or something like that. I feel like this has never really bothered. I haven't noticed it, to be honest, so it definitely never, bo never bothered me. But if I had noticed it, I'm not sure I'd be that worried about it. Well, this is it, isn't it? Because... Up until this point, there's been a lot of things added for people who are long-term ISA invest, you know, holding for the long period pies and mm. auto invest and all that. They were all Portuguese exchanges, long, yeah. 
Portuguese exchanges, all brought in for long-term investors. Um, these last few changes have actually been refocusing on what Trading 2 and 2 originally did, which was for the shorter-term people. So we had the Trading View charts that you can draw all your fancy lines on. Um, mm -hmm. We had the uh, – and last traded price, obviously, is a, a more accurate way of pricing uh, – your, your stocks so they're all positive changes for the the other side of the investing uh investing trading trading game i guess is what we would call it mm -hmm. yeah that's a good thing i mean it's a good thing for us if there's you know more people on trading 212 right we both like using that platform we both want that platform to do well uh for a number of reasons so good to see new features good to see i guess bugs getting fixed is kind of what that comes under i suppose yeah, I think they're just quality of life improvements. That's what that's what I would call them. Apparently, there's a few more little bits and pieces to come as well. So uh, we shall see. That is exciting stuff. We'll look forward to reporting it when it comes around. Okay, uh, so on to something that I've been looking at this week then. So Wakasuma uh, in the comments last week asked a question uh, probably aimed at me, which was, can you elabor elaborate a little? Uh, he wrote more clearly than I said on why you think stock-based compensation is a genuine cost. Uh, and I like this question because I said last week that, look, I thought Meta's stock-based comp was slightly worrying. Um, and the reason I worried about it was because I thought it was cutting into free cash flow and I view that as a genuine cost. But not everybody does because it isn't a cash charge. Um, and I like this question because it encouraged me to think a bit more clearly about exactly what I have in mind here. Uh, and that's been one of the things actually over the however many episodes we've done, we must be closing in on 100 here, Steve. Yeah. One of the things that I've really benefited from in talking to Paul and Steve and Zach back in the day and thinking about people's questions is really getting clear on how I think about things and being able to explain them in a way that makes at least some vague semblance of sense rather than brushing over it in my own head. So here's a little bit of elaboration then on why I think stock-based comp is a genuine cost. Over the last 12 months, Meta Platforms has bought back around $41 billion in its own stock, which today's share prices and today's market cap is about 14% of the business. Uh, they now have a market cap of about 300 or so from what I can see of it. Uh, so if I own 1%, I could sell 14% of that in my investment if they did it again and still own 1% of the business. So that's what you get instead of a dividend of a sort. You realize that kind of gain by selling your shares at whatever the day's prices are. Um, Stock-based comp uh, at the level of about 11.3 billion or so means that just over 25% of what Meta is spending buying back is getting spent on undoing this dilution effect that they've had by giving away um, that many shares. So they're printing 11.3 billion, buying back 41, and that would be nice. I'd like to get 41% uh, 41 billion bought back, but I'm not getting that. I'm getting. A total of 41 billion bought back take off 11.3 because that's just undoing the effect of the stuff that they've already printed which means that the amount i can sell and still keep my investment at the same level is around 10 percent or so uh, that got me looking a bit more closely at meta platforms and how much stock-based comp uh, it incurs expense wise because i thought it looked like quite a lot so i had a bit of a comparison using a nice chart that steve sent me earlier this week he was looking at a bunch of companies and how much of their revenue effectively goes back out the door again on stock-based compensation and the amount for meta is about just under 10 percent 9.6 percent was what i saw as a percentage of revenue for stock-based comp that's quite significantly higher than google at six and a half amazon at three and a half apple at two and a third netflix at one and a half microsoft at just under four 
so compared to the kind of other big fang or fang alike uh, stocks, that's quite high from what I saw of it. It's actually comparable to something like Shopify, which is at 9.68%, Meta at 9.64. So what I was looking at there is a company, I guess, that is sending out stock-based comp like it's in big growth mode, which is what Shopify is, but based on its most recent earnings, isn't in big growth mode. Its earnings slip back a bit. Um, Steve, what do you think about any of this? Um, particularly interesting, really. I think, um, I mean, jumping forward to probably something you've got later on is the the layoffs coming. Obviously, are going to address mm. some of this some of this um, issue. And and but I guess we should spend a little bit of time just just looking at how comprehensive this package is that that Zuckerberg's put off. I mean, if you from what Steve said, he obviously cares about his employees. Um, you know, uh, especially from a from a compensation package. But in terms of their actual severance as well, it's really is generous. They're getting 16 weeks of pay um, plus two additional weeks for every year of service that they've had at Meta. Meta are also going to cover the health insurance for six months. They're also putting on a career, independent careers service to help people get re-employed. And they're also helping with uh, any immigration issues as well. They're going to put up the money to, to, to do that. So um, in terms of what, facebook meta are doing it's it is it is very generous and it and i, I guess it'll be uh, uh well it won't be well received but it, i guess it will be well received in the future when people realize you know just 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 what they're doing but yeah in terms of the graph the graph was a really interesting thing that i spotted last week there's a hell of a lot of uh, interesting companies and in now i mean we like under 20 percent of revenue paid to stock based competition on a fast-growing company there's a few companies that are very tight to the, that kind of line but uh, there's a few really really big outliers uh, looking particularly at palantir snowflake splunk uh, those kind of companies uh autodesk zoom uh, was another that likes a bit of stock based compensation so that they were particularly uh, shocking to me but i didn't realize meta was as bad as you said it was steve so what what do you think uh, what do you think is driving that that desire to give away so much company i think it's just a kind of added metaverse expense here i mean the way zuck thinks about this or at least until this week i should say um he appeared to see this is still in growth mode basically we're going all out to try and buy every metaverse company we can find and hire a bunch of engineers to go and uh, build this out for us and i guess that's where stock-based comp came from i mean as with dilution and printing shares and taking on debt you and i have always said look a rising share count isn't in and of itself a problem if you can grow your revenues faster than you can uh, and significantly faster let's say then you increase your share count fair enough um, we would think that's the right thing for you to do in this situation you would want bigger revenues if you couldn't have achieved them otherwise uh, in exchange for slightly more shares a couple of things about Meta there, I guess, though. One is it is buying back the shares, so the share count isn't going up, but it is having to pay to do so out of its free cash. And the other thing is it doesn't seem to be in kind of massive hyper-growth mode just at the moment. I mean, it's putting up comparable numbers to something like a Shopify, but it's not obvious to me that it is. And the way, of course, one way you can correct your kind of out-of-control stock-based comp um, is by reducing the size of your workforce and therefore presumably bringing down the number of people you're paying out shares to one way or another yeah and that that makes perfect sense doesn't it um i guess do you, do, i read in the i read in the letter um zuckerberg was was quite apologetic really for his his lack of foresight in terms of the other businesses i think he thought that meta and the family of apps were just going to skyrocket off um they'd had this 
phenomenal bit of growth over COVID. And, and it seemed like he really thought that was going to increase and carry on. And he hired like it was going to increase and carry on, which I guess is 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 part of the problem. I, I do wonder how much this uh, layoff is going to. I think it's just over 11,000 people who are getting laid off. I wonder how many of these are people who are relatively new to the business um, or hired in the last the last couple of years. But do you, do you see growth returning to Meta? Is that is that part of the thesis of why you own it, Steve? Or or is this you know Meta? You just see them about realizing what they already have. I would like to see them realizing what they already have. When I kind of first bought them it was a stage where this metaverse stuff was starting to become a noticeable drain on well mostly net income and also to an extent free cash flow and my thought at the time was that this is isn't something that meta can just kind of shutter in an important way it would now be the case if they shuttered it that it would involve drawing a line under quite a lot of losses but i think investors would take that to be honest i think if they shuttered it they would take that as a, okay good there's no more coming in a certain sense but i'm not sure that I now see this in the way that I used to. I used to see this as the thing that Meta has no choice about. They need their platforms to be important on whatever comes after the smartphone. They managed to transition from effectively PCs to phones pretty well seamlessly. Facebook got itself onto basically every phone that was uh, around, every smartphone anyway. Instagram similar, WhatsApp probably similar too. But if we move off of phones and into whatever the next thing is, will uh, Meta's family of apps platforms still be relevant there? And I saw the Metaverse's effectively a way of playing to ensure that they were but i'm not sure that's really necessary here i mean they managed to transition from pcs to phones but they haven't really managed to build a phone or not a very good one anyway i think there may have been a they may have tried to build a phone at one stage but that, clearly that was not a successful effort but that didn't particularly slow them down uh, they did very well there's clashing with apple and so on and they're at the the whims of them a little bit but nonetheless um they have a big kind of advertising base they have a lot of users there they will be an attractive proposition to advertisers when advertising budgets recover from what i can see of it i'm kind of starting to see this in the way that i saw that other people saw it before uh, ahead of me a little bit on the metaverse as a kind of unnecessary unfortunate expense yeah, and it could be, uh, and, and it could be that it all works out, and Zuckerberg goes back to being like everybody's hero. Uh, I guess is, uh, is is a key thing. You've also got to think uh, they've never really figured out how to monetize WhatsApp properly, and if they could get to WhatsApp, uh, get to monetize WhatsApp, anything like they've managed to monetize the other things in the family of apps, and that is a really, really big growth driver for um, for for Meta. Uh, it's one of the things I've never really understood why why you would go like so far deep into into the reality labs without really figuring out what you're supposed to be doing with whatsapp i think if you could get whatsapp to generate some more money that's you know the cash that you would be losing on reality labs would become more insignificant um you know or, or zuckerberg would spend double what he was currently spending but i have the same problem with um meta that i had last week I, you would be surprised to hear i haven't got over it yet is that i just feel like it's it's just so much money for so little output. I think it might be because I'm just very, not particularly interested in the stock or Facebook or any of the family of apps, really, that I don't see it. But I just think $12 billion a year is a lot. I would expect to see so much more if I, if my if my companies were spending that. And, and that remains my bugbear and probably will remain my bugbear. And if, and if it comes off, you know, that I'll just say that, look, I was completely blindsided by the, you know, just how bad everything looks. But I just, I just don't see it. 
yeah, there's nothing the matter for what it's worth of something springs out of this that you didn't see coming and just saying you didn't see it coming. You don't have to pick every winner uh, in the stock market here. And I'm not saying this will be the kind of big winner, but even if it is, I don't think there's anything kind of disreputable about saying, look, the metaverse stuff kind of caught us by surprise because Facebook, uh, Facebook Meta, any of them, uh, have never been that transparent about what's going on in here. I should invest to put in the comments last week, I think, and it's the right point. So I'm assuming he put it because his comments are usually pretty good on this sort of thing. Uh, or in general, actually, about investing, that the problem people have is that the losses on Reality Labs aren't particularly transparent. They don't guide very well on this or say, look, here's what's going on. Here's what we need to do. And here's what it's going to look like when we get there. What we get is some fairly horrific looking pictures of what the metaverse might look like. And that makes it hard for anyone to really get behind. I sort of increasingly see the metaverse as a kind of COVID dream. So there was yeah. that time, right, when Kathy Woodstocks were all going mad and people were never, ever going to go to an office again um, and all that kind of thing, which has turned out to be massively overblown. The metaverse feels to me like something from that kind of era. Uh, and I'm not saying the world hasn't changed at all since COVID. It obviously has. There's bits that will stick with us and so on. But the idea that everything was going to be never the same again, mm, that seems to have gone away a bit. And I worry the metaverse has gone with it. Sorry, back to you. I just thinking. Do, do you think the main problem with the metaverse maybe just is Zuckerberg himself? I mean, he has the charisma of like C three PO painted skin color, doesn't he? So he's not like he's not the greatest salesman in the world. I wonder if somebody like Steve Jobs was up there showing us his metaverse, and it was exactly the same. If we'd be more wowed by the output, I, I wonder if it is. Zuckerberg, two things. I think he's quite generally disliked as a as a person anyway, outside of the in, the investing realm, I guess. So that opens him up to ridicule whenever he, he seems to be failing, I guess, is what is what I would put it under. When people love it when somebody they don't like is not doing very well, don't they? They, they, they love that. But I wonder if it's his, his, his complete lack of charisma that is not selling the metaverse to us, that we can't see the his dream of it is is obviously very clear and i don't know if we can we can see it and i think that might be down to his ability to show us he does look like something that belongs in a metaverse doesn't he um mm. he looks like a kind of uh borderline sort of human he looks like the humanoid humanoid robot that elon musk is trying to uh, invent for what it's worth and i i sort of don't know it's a it's a really interesting thought experiment that what if say not even steve jobs but just say apple uh came out with a metaverse thing apple which has a really really strong uh customer base and following and they've persuaded people to I mean, they not only persuaded some people to buy iPads, for which when I saw that product for the first time, I thought it looked ridiculous. I thought it looked like a basically unhandy, uh, awkward-sized phone that didn't have a USB port from what I can remember of it. You couldn't print things from it. Um, but for some reason, iPads, or more generally tablets, appear to be everywhere at the moment. And I couldn't work out why, and I now absolutely get it. So I wonder whether, you know, if Apple brought out a kind of metaverse thing, would I look at it and go, what in the hell is this? And then everyone would be all over it immediately. Maybe, maybe. And and that's the thing, though, with the, with the Apple products is that they, they got them into your hand, didn't they? They had Apple shops that you could go in. And that might be the issue with, um, I mean, Paul says he's he's had the Quest headset on, the Oculus headset on, and he gets it. And me and you, I mean, I, I've tried it. I played mini golf on it, which was the uh, which was great. Um, but 
it's more price prohibitive, isn't it? I think is the thing is that with a phone, if you buy an Apple iPhone, you'd be thinking, well, I'll, even if I don't really like the phone, I'm going to get a couple of years use out of this before I, you know, before I need a new phone. But with this Oculus thing, you don't want to be spending three, four, five, six hundred quid on the thing and it's sitting on the shelf gathering dust. So that might be the issue. It might be that we can't see, he can't, he can't demonstrate his vision to us and we don't have the opportunity to go and experience it for ourselves. So that, that might be where we're falling short. Mm. Speaking of um, people getting fired and reducing headcount and presumably bringing stock-based comp into line, you saw Elon Musk has begun firing people at Twitter this week, fired about half of them. Uh, from what I saw of it, and then had to invite some of them back again because apparently they either got fired by mistake or it turns out they actually need those people to build out the features that he wants to build out with blue ticks and what have you. Yeah, uh, that's been, uh, so far, uh, it's been an unmitigated disaster. Um, uh, I noticed Doja Cat had signed up and changed her name to Christmas uh, and then realised she couldn't unchange her name for Christmas <laughs> and has had to message Elon Musk and say, please, I don't, I don't want to be called Christmas forever. Uh, I also noticed that uh, basically anybody can sign up and take anybody else's name uh, with this Bluetooth verified. So there was a story today about um, somebody had signed up as Joe Biden and they were tweeting about uh, sucking their own... Uh, thing and that obviously looked like it was coming from coming from Joe Biden which this is not good this is like I mean if the advertiser I noticed there was a huge list of advertisers who were saying no nah, we're not we're not we're not doing this and at the moment it doesn't look to be getting any uh, any any better but uh, being positive side of it cutting that headcount in half that brings Twitter's revenue per employee to uh, about the same as all of the other big tech it's always lagged it's been about 50 percent of of um of your metas and your uh, your your other sort of um big tech style companies your googles and and this actual uh, cutting staff will, will bring them over the million pound per employee so uh a million dollars per employee sorry so that that i guess is the only light i've got at the moment about twitter yeah, I was fascinated by some of this blue tick stuff. I thought the point was to try and clean up fake accounts and spam bots and stuff like that. But now anyone can be anyone, uh, at least for a fee anyway. That was sort of, it seemed interestingly at cross purposes to me there. But I thought Scott Galloway on this was pretty good. I agreed with about 50% or so from what I heard of him saying about Elon Musk. So I'm not massively on side with everything he thought. But he did say that when there's a massive coal coming in uh, an organisation, the people who leave and run out the way are the good ones. Uh, the ones who have options, the ones who are desirable employees, the ones you want to keep will be the ones who will run away somewhere else before uh, they end up worrying about their jobs and so on. And I thought that was a pretty smart and sensible point. Yeah, and it was um, it was a tricky read, really. Um, when on the day that all of them uh, all of them got their notice that they were they were they were leaving, there was a, a quite an outpouring of uh, of sort of grief. I guess is that a lot of these people really really enjoyed where they were now. Yeah, so people on the the, the bullish side for Elon will probably tell it's because they weren't doing anything. We just sat eating sandwiches all day. Uh, but these people did genuinely seem to enjoy uh, where they worked and. Uh, it was quite a. It was. It was a tricky read to, to just scroll down and see people. I, one of the people who uh, used to run Monzo's community, he moved on to a, a startup that got acquired by Twitter a couple of months ago, and he has his whole team has been cut already as well. So uh, it was uh, 
quite quite sort of uh, obviously a little bit of turmoil for him but yeah average stuff that's pretty much all mm. i got on twitter but mess of platforms back to that one that's up 23 percent this week partly because of all its firing its staff to bring its um costs under control which i guess kind of makes sense and was what investors were looking for but partly because just because the whole damn market's gone up today anyway that's to do with inflation what's happened there steve uh so it's cpi today uh cpi is coming lighter than everybody expected i think it was a 0.4 percent uh increase month on month which brings us to is it seven and a half percent steve so 7.7 uh year over year today for some reason that is uh, a reason to be cheery i guess it does show that inflation is coming down inflation is uh obviously if you times that 0.4 by 12 that gets you to you know the expected inflation at this current period of time it's obviously a lot less than what we're currently experiencing it, it this could be a big fake out this steve we've had this before we've had a lower read before and all got very excited and then the next two months were way over what we expected so i would edge caution i guess as somebody who can't give you any kind of advice because i'm not qualified but for me uh i i just uh, i'm happy to watch this one how about you i'm also viewing this with a little bit of um caution partly because of the reasons connected to my ISA that i mentioned before but Partly because, okay, so I'm seeing things coming down. The reading was 9.1 in June, 8.5 in July, 8.3 in August, 8.2 in September, 7.7 now for October because the read goes for the previous month, basically. I know it's now November, but we're reading October's numbers here. I guess a couple of things uh, that I think about this. So I can see it coming in the right direction. By the way, see, turns out inflation is transitory, just a bit sort of longer transitory than um, everyone thought. It's a longer transit period. It's all fine. I guess one thing to be aware of here is that inflation rates are basically measuring a rate of increase year over year. And since prices were going up last year, that doesn't mean even if they start slowing down here that prices are getting any cheaper here. It just means they're going up by less. And if you thought cost of living was already high um, and you thought that stuff was expensive in the first place, a bit more each time, even if it's only a little bit more each time, mm. is, is still a fairly significant thing. So if you were looking for kind of US spending, this is a sign that it's slowing. US economy is probably slowing. Uh, we're due a GDP number uh, a bit further in the future. But we're also still a very long way from home. The The Fed is looking for 2%. And yeah, lower numbers might cause them to think about, think about, think about um, slowing down in their kind of rate hikes and so on. But it feels like we're, we're still a long way off for me at the moment. Yeah, I don't think we'll see... Uh anything significant from any of the next fed meetings for uh for for quite a while i don't think they'll be happy with one good cpi report coming in i think they'll want to see two three four five of these before uh, they start to take the foot off the uh off the gas of hikes i personally would expect another 0.75 hike i think the best we can expect is a point uh, 0.5 percent hike for short-term relief i would argue it's probably better that we uh, don't get short-term relief and that we just see this through now i think uh, is probably where i'd say we need to be i think something similar i mean i guess the hope might be on the optimistic side that this will kind of catch its own momentum here because inflation caught its own momentum on the way up right so we got here by wind back a couple of years and we we're in a pandemic and the us is sorting this out by cutting interest rates low and effectively pumping stimulus money into everybody which is okay that's the plan and it brought them through it reasonably well you all saw what happened to the stock market right it went up an awful lot 
and mostly because earnings went up an awful lot in these cases. So sure, stuff traded at higher multiples because of low interest rates, but earnings kept pace with it and got up there enough to justify what was going on a little bit. So that kind of happened and low interest rates and some stimulus and some easy money meant people went spending. Uh, basically, because that's what people do when they have a load of money that's extra here. And extra spending meant that businesses needed extra hiring, which meant extra wages, which meant that prices went up. And of course, if you're paying a load more people and you're paying them sort of decent wages, then they've got more money and then they keep spending. Uh, and we go up and we go up and we go up and we go up. And the whole cycle and process just carries on and on to the point where we got to sort of 9.1 uh, in June, which is where inflation appeared to hit its peak. Whether we can get some kind of more organic momentum like that going on, although it feels like a very brutal way for uh, to think about things here. There are fewer people in jobs. Um, as a result, prices come down because people have less money to spend and so on. From what I was seeing, there's still a bit still to burn out of this kind of system, but it might be that there's just enough there that things can kind of organically wind their way down without the Fed pushing significantly higher uh, and significantly quickly at this particular point. I guess I'm sort of, I'm not sure what I think optimistic looks like, to be honest. I wouldn't mind some low share prices and high interest rates. It just looks to me like returns are better for investors when that happens. But um, what do you think? I guess in terms of a recovery, all we need is to just carry on the path that we're on now. I think in terms of an economic recovery anyway, never mind the stock market for now. Um, so I was... I'm interested to see the Fed stay its course. I think it's too early to pivot. I think that could be a disaster. Um, as uh, I really enjoyed listening to Drucken Miller on the subject, um, and he uh, he said that you know rates of uh, inflation has never come down to to two percent without um, with the rates being above uh, the level of inflation. Now, with the level of inflation coming down, there should be an opportunity to push the interest rates over it quite quite nicely. And then you know if uh, if we need to, and I guess that the uh, the US government will be keen for the Fed to do so, but to just take the foot off the gas a little bit um, uh, at some point, um, <clears throat> you know, wouldn't wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a, a miss for the for especially for the um, American government. But I was interested to see on LBC last week, Steve, just after we recorded, um, Danny Blanchflower was on. Um, I think it was Tom Swarbrick's um, show, and he's. Um, He's ex-Bank of England. Uh, he's since left. I think he's retired. Uh, and he is not happy with the Bank of England and what they're doing in the interest rates. He thinks they're trying to tank the economy. Uh, and his reason was uh, essentially that the British problem isn't the same as the American problem. We haven't injected anywhere near as much uh, money into the system. We haven't like directly put checks in pockets in the way that Americans did as kind of like a, you know, a cash buffer to get yourself going. He thinks the Fairlow scheme was, was different. The Fairlow scheme was about uh, upkeep rather than cash. Um, so he thinks that all of the inflation problems in the UK are lent by... Um, supply shocks and spending demand globally because there was uh, a lot of cash and he doesn't think that the uh, English market needs to, the Bank of England needs to push as hard uh, as, as they're suggesting they're going to push to bring uh, to bring it down. He thinks it's going to be uh, going to be a disaster essentially is what he's saying. I, I would, I would uh, urge everybody to, to have a look at it. I think if you just search Danny Blanchflower, uh, Tom Swarbrick, it, it should come up. Uh, it was a really interesting chat. It's only about five or ten minutes, but uh, yeah, he's a very an angry man. Um, but what do you think about that, Steve? That does sound very interesting because, of course, 
it's a fairly obvious point that yes, the UK market responds to US news and US markets, and you would expect them to do that, right? Because as US prices go up, UK prices become more attractive by comparison if they don't move effectively. So you would expect them to kind of go up along with it. And the S&P was up four and a half percent when I looked, and the FTSE 100 was up one and a bit percent. So as usual, a kind of smaller move to the upside from the FTSE, but nonetheless, positive momentum caught from that kind of exchange. I'm interested in the idea then that, yeah, this kind of US data is dealing with a different situation to the UK. I can see that there's differences in some ways, but one of the things that I think this speaks well of is regardless of whether you think a policy is the best one um, or whether you think it's a risky one or whether you think it's an unfair one, it does look like the US is getting some joy by persisting with its policy. Uh, basically. So it's had uh, Powell in hiking rates and saying, look, I am going to hike rates until this happens. And to be fair, fairly aggressively towing that line and sticking to that kind of principle and not being driven off it by various people saying you're now hiking too fast. This is all too uh, quick, maybe plausibly. Uh, but he's found a view and he's going to stick with it and follow that strategy through. And when I look at what's been happening over here in the UK, regardless of what you think of the government again, I've seen government after government after government coming in, and it looks like we haven't had the uh, kind of coherent plan for for about more than 10 minutes or something like that. We had the kind of, uh, I guess, Johnson-Sunak uh, strategy, which was to let people's heating prices go high-ish. Uh, and then we had the brief trust quarting thing, and then we switched out again fairly quickly because that was so unpopular. Uh, that was a kind of low-rates, uh, growth-stimulating plan. Okay, make of that what you will we did on this show and now we've got kind of yet another one and it feels to me like there is an advantage or at least at least something to be said for being able to follow through on a plan once you have one and the more the uk chops and changes and does one thing and then another thing effectively all it does is just undo any progress that was done by the previous thing um that's not to take any view whatsoever on whether this is the plan that we currently have. I'm not entirely sure what the current plan is, to be honest. Is the best one, the only one, the most efficient one, the least fair one? Any of that, no idea. But it does look to me like the US is benefiting from being able to have a plan and follow it through. Yeah, and again, the, these guys are, who are running the, the banks of England and the Federal Reserve, they're not at the liberty of being able to A-B test. It's not like they can get so far down the line and say, hang on a second, this was wrong. Let's just rewind and we'll, we'll, we'll try a different tack. They've got to do what they believe is the right thing at the time. So, And, and there's going to be people on both sides who say, you know, oh, you stopped you stop too early and inflation's off again you know people are people can't afford to eat and then there's the other side who are saying oh you're raising rates too high people's mortgages are getting too high they now can't have, they don't have enough money to eat so there's like both sides of the, the debate here are like littered with 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 mines aren't they essentially that 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 the, the bank of england and the fed are just gonna gonna walk into um it's just one of those scenarios where you you, you know I'm, I'm really glad i'm absolutely nothing to do with that and i can sit behind my desk and i could choose to do nothing if i want them that day and it probably wouldn't hurt anybody uh i don't think powell and co are particularly in that uh that 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 situation no, um, there's talk of a strike coming actually from our the union that I that represents people in my industry, and uh, people one or two people have been voicing a thought to me there that says we really shouldn't strike because people will notice that say we go on strike and their lights don't go out or anything like that. So um, I've been thinking about this a little bit too, 
Anyway, uh, we've reached close to an hour. That's pretty much us for this week. It's been fun chatting as always. Thank you very much for being there. Um, congratulations to our competition winner. Get in touch down below. And we'll see you next week.